following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Church, good to be back with you. Uh, we had a wonderfully productive working retreat last weekend, so thank you for uh, the joy of letting us be away. It was very good for our team. Um, just make note of uh, one date, if you can, looking ahead on your calendars. December the 10th, that's a Sunday, uh, we're going to have a family meeting that is one of the more important family meetings we probably have had um, in the last five to seven years. So I just want to encourage you, if you're a member of our church, what we ask of you is have one adult show up at that meeting. Uh, it's going to be about 1.30, I think, is the time. I can't remember exactly what it is. It'll, you, I think you're going to get a card on that at some point, um, if you haven't already. But uh, just to remind you, December the 10th, we're going to have a family meeting to talk about a few things. Um, I, I am leaving again tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday along with a few guys. Dave Quilla has already left. Uh, if you can pray for us this week, we have our Sovereign Grace Pastors and Wives Conference, which is in Orlando, Florida. <clears throat> Dave took off yesterday and uh, left at 1.30 in the morning to get to the airport with he and Pam and got to the airport, and they found out that their flight had been canceled for eight hours, and Pam was able to get diverted to another flight to Virginia where she's going to see grandkids. Dave needed to get to Orlando for our starting of our conference to see his mom, and everything was delayed by eight hours. So pray for the group of us leaving the Tomorrow that we don't have that type of delays. That would be awful uh, because getting in at eight, eight hours later would put us in about 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Uh, we're supposed to land at midnight tomorrow night. Uh, and so all week long, basically tomorrow at our pastors and wives conference, we have what's called our council of elders meeting where uh, our senior pastors meet and our, one of our elders from our teams meet to just talk about the state of our denomination and talk about things that are going on around the world. One of the things that will happen tomorrow that I am incredibly excited about is that for the first time in Sovereign Grace history, we are launching and affirming a brand new denomination in the nation of Mexico, um, which means that they are now going to be a functioning denomination in Mexico. The next nation up in that docket, so you can be aware of, is 2025, is the Philippines. And uh, where the Lord has been allowing me to do some work over there. So we're super excited about what God is doing. Uh, and then t- beginning Tuesday night, we're going to start a pastors and wives conference. That'll finish on Thursday evening. And then we're flying home on Friday. So thank you for your prayers. It's been a busy travel season. I told my family, I, I don't want to go to the pastors conference. I want to be home. People that know me well know that I want to be home. It is so good to be back with you. Um, a few Sundays ago when I was back preaching, I hadn't preached in a couple weeks. One of the guys caught me and said, he told the security guys, just be prepared. Dave's going to preach and he's going to go long. Just be aware of that. He's been out for a while. And the reason for that, I got to be honest with you, preaching the gospel to you is just an absolute joy for me. Um, it is like being home and I love being with you. So let's open our Bibles this morning. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to continue a study that we've been in called The Shaping Virtues of the Christian Life. And the goal really has been to highlight what are virtues that we at CLF see are important for the Christian. Now, there's a lot of them, but we've targeted seven of them that we want to just hit on because at the heart of our church really stands this, this glorious truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is a Savior and King and people who believe in Jesus 
will be transformed followers of Christ and will display the fruit of Christ in their lives. They will show some virtues or qualities of people that are transformed by the gospel. That's what we've been talking about, right? And so if you if you have been involved in our CLF student ministry, which is our teenage ministry, you would have seen this going on in our student group. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about implications of the gospel, that because the gospel is true, this is how our relationship is with God. And then we talked about because the gospel is true, this is how we're to behave. This is what God says about those who, how we behave. Now, in our church services, we have highlighted some of these particular qualities. We've talked about humility. We've talked about encouragement. We talked about gratitude. We talked about generosity. We talked about joy. And today we're going to talk about servanthood. And then next Sunday, Bruce Wells is going to finish this series by talking about godliness. Um, nobody better to preach on godliness than Bruce, right? And so this morning we're going to talk about servanthood. Now here is what I hope we'll learn today. If you're new with us, you might have, you probably got a bulletin. On the outline, there's a big idea, and here's the big idea that we're <clears throat> we're after today. Christians are called by God to serve others. Our service is motivated, modeled, and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we're called to serve others. But it's motivated, modeled, and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we do not serve God so that we will receive salvation. We serve God because we have received salvation. Everybody see the difference? Okay, that's why this is so important. Now, my burden this morning, and I really do believe the Bible's burden on servanthood and God's call on our lives is more than doing acts of service. Right? You have a world that is bombarding you with this mantra that we just simply need to do acts of kindness and everybody's going to be kind. And we're missing what I think the Bible really does address, which is the heart or the posture of a servant. Right? The, the transformed demeanor of our lives, the heart, the motivation, the center of who we are and what makes us tick. The Lord is after that to transform it. And we're going to see the reason why this morning because we don't naturally, we're not naturally motivated to serve. There's some things in us that hurt this in us. Now, let me just speak directly to those of you who have called yourselves Christians and who've been in the church culture for a long time. I, I've had one job all of my life. I've been a pastor in a local church. I started as a pastor at uh, at, a, at a small church, a youth pastor at 19 years of age. I've worked in the church and been around the church. I was also serving in the Christian school environment at Uncle Valley Christian School years ago, and I've been the pastor of this church. I've also coached a little baseball on the side, but my day job, my the job that pays the bills, if you will, has been I've been a pastor in the Christian church for a long time. And let me tell you what I've seen from now 34 years of Christian ministry. And I've seen this in my own life. Christians serving, but not having the heart or posture of service. Rather, what I've noticed has been people want validation, recognition, and applause from other people for their service. And when they don't get it, 
They get their nose out of joint, and then they're looking for some other place to go so they can be honored, approved, and validated for their service. That reveals a little bit of this heart that we want to get rooted out of us. Because, let's be honest, that kind of service, it just smells funny. Right? You, you know when you're in the room with a fake servant. It could be, and I've, these are the kind of things I've seen. It could be a preacher trying to be remarkably relevant, but is just dramatic and fake. I've seen introductions given for a guest speaker that is so demeaning of the person giving the introduction that it's just sappy and weird, and everybody in the room is going, this is so bizarre. And it just stinks because the introductor is trying to say something about the speaker in order for the speaker to say something about the introductor. It gets weird. And so this morning, I want us to think more about the heart of servanthood. More than the mechanics of servanthood. Because listen, I, I could give you a list of things to go get your service hours in. But here's the question. Is you fulfilling your service hours transforming your heart to be a servant? And I want to just tell you something. There's only one power on earth that can do that. And it's the power of the gospel. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Okay? So to do that, I want to look at Matthew 20, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 28. So let's stand together and let's read. I'm going to read this. You follow along. If you're new, we don't stand here because you need the calisthenics, you know, just keep the blood pumping in your legs. We do this because it's God's word, it's God breathed, and we believe it's true and inspired. Matthew 20, verse 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right and one on your left hand, one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus said to her, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, They were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we ask you to open our eyes to the truths in this text and take the gospel and by your power transform us. Help those of us who don't know Jesus to become aware of the reality of Jesus and believe in Christ and help those who do believe in Jesus to be transformed, to be servants of Christ in a way 
that is real and genuine for your glory and the benefit of our fellow man. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Matthew, who is the writer of this book, wrote this book to his Jewish friends for a reason. He wanted to show them that Jesus Christ is the true Savior and King of his people. In the chapters leading up to Matthew 20, and you can look this up as you go back, Jesus revealed how poorly the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish people, Jewish leaders had led the Jewish people. And he rebuked these Jewish leaders for their desire for places of prominence and their lack of humble service. Basically, Jesus rebukes them for this attitude that says, we want to rule over you, tell you what to do. You do as we say, not as we do. In the section that we just read, you're going to notice a transition. Jesus goes after the same heart of this controlling, dominating, ruling culture, but he goes after it in the heart of his people. He goes after it in the heart of his followers. And what he does in this section of scripture is he reveals how upside down the kingdom of God is to the kingdom of man or the kingdom of this earth. He reveals that the kingdom of man believes that the way to be great is by dominance and control. But in the kingdom of God, the way to be great is by lowering ourselves to serve others. That's what we're looking at when you read this text. So let's look at the first point in the outline, which is a really weird or strange request. And you're going to see this in verses 20 through 22. Now, the mother of James and John approached Jesus to ask him to give her sons places of prominence in his kingdom. Grant that my sons would sit one on your right, one on your left. Now, there are a few things about her request that we've got to just make note of. First of all, let's be straight here. And listen, young men, just pay attention here. This is their mama. Boys, if you let your mama speak for you, you got a real issue on your hands, okay? All right? This is their mama. Mama Bear has watched as her sons have given up everything to follow Jesus, and she basically points a finger at Jesus and says, I need you to make sure that my boys are going to be in a place of prominence. Now, if you're a coach at any level, you've had this interaction with a parent. If you're a teacher, you've had this interaction with a parent. My boy worked all night long for that A, and how dare you give him a B? Well, your boy earned the B. Your daughter earned the B. We we have a hard time with mamas not stepping in front. That's one issue with it. The second issue is there seems to be a misunderstanding on this mother's part and James and John, and we can be honest with the other disciples, about Jesus' kingdom. See, in her mind, and... Quite frankly, in the disciples' mind, you'll see this later in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples actually ask Jesus after the resurrection, they say, hey, is it now that you're going to restore Israel to its place of prominence? They're still missing and misunderstanding the nature of Jesus' kingdom. And to be honest with you, that's what's going on a lot with American Christians today is we primarily believe that Jesus' kingdom is political and earthly, not primarily spiritual and eternal, that will have an effect 
on the earthly and political. It's a big difference. She sees Jesus as an earthly political king who's come to restore Israel back to their place of prominence. And when he does that, what is she asking for? Can you just make sure that my boys have top-level official status in the kingdom? But what made this request really strange is the context. Look with me at the verses just preceding this mother's request. In those verses, Jesus foretold of his upcoming death and resurrection. He told them in very clear terms that the chief officials of Israel would condemn him to death. Not elevate him to king. He would be crucified and would be raised from the dead on the third day. And almost immediately after these words proceed out of Jesus' mouth, Mama Bear steps up. I mean, her selfish ambition is tone deaf. The moment would cause her to say, wow, you're going to go die? They're going to condemn you to death? Yet she steps forward in this act of slippery, slimy humility kneels down before Jesus and says, I want you to grant my sons to sit on the right and the left. Now, if you're a husband, you know this moment, right? Your wife sent you a very strong text about something that you need to pay attention to, and you read the first third of it, and you say, okay. And she says, did you even read my text? Of which you go, oh, you said that one of our children is heading in for surgery. Tone deaf. That's what's happening in the text. Jesus is going to die, yet what is she burdened about? Her son's being elevated. Now at this point in the dialogue, you'll see this in the text, Jesus looked at her and her sons, which indicates her sons were standing right with her and in full agreement. Basically like, Jesus won't listen to us, we're going to listen to her full in agreement, and told them, basically in Jesus' terms, y'all have lost your minds. This isn't going to happen. You don't know what you're asking. And he asked them an interesting question. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink, which is the cup of his dying on the cross and crucifixion and suffering that he's about to endure? And notice their response. He said, are you able to do that? And notice the response. We are able. Just a simple statement of self-confidence and arrogance, but it's a bit more than that. When you put it in the context of a place of prominence, here's what they're actually stating. We don't, we, we not only have the ability to drink the cup that you're gonna drink, Jesus, we have the right to sit on your right hand and your left because we will drink that cup. We could put it in our terms today. It's a statement of entitlement. We're not only able to drink that nasty cup, we deserve to sit at the seat of prominence. 
Now, when you know what Matthew is trying to do with his book, and you understand it in this context of the book, and you know what Jesus is about to instruct about servanthood, you begin to see this strange request in its proper view, right? You can begin to see it in 2020. Because this strange request does something fascinating. It contrasts the kingdom of man of how the kingdom of man does business and the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God does business. But it also shows something else. This strange request reveals the obstacles that you and I all face when we're going to go be servants. Notice some things in the text. Notice their self-love. Mom is concerned about her boys. Jesus is going to die. Mom's worried about her boys. Boys are concerned about their place. We want our place. We want our (laughs) rewards. What about us? Yeah, you're going to go die, but what about us? Aren't we going to get a spot? Self-centered love. Notice the overstating and arrogance of their abilities. Yes, we can drink of the cup that you're going to drink, and they have no idea what that cup is. They've ignored what Jesus has just said to them. They emphatically believe they can stand. Now, if you know the story, you know that later on, these disciples, when Jesus is hung on the cross, where are they? They've all run for cover. Do they eventually come to their senses by the Spirit of God? Yes, they certainly do. But not long after, these brothers did not stand in that moment. See, they they overspoke and they underdelivered. Notice the desire to be recognized for their service of Jesus. We've left everything behind to follow. And we want you to grant us a prominent seat in your kingdom. We can do anything you ask. We deserve it. And listen, if we're honest with ourselves, these are the reasons we're not servants. These are the reasons we don't lower ourselves. I mean, just think about the things we've seen. Self-confidence, self-love, arrogance, overstating our abilities, desire to be recognized and entitled for the things that we have done. And ask yourself these questions. How upset or offended are you when others don't recognize what you did for them? Hey, I don't ever do that. Well, parents, how many times have you said to your kids, I've served you and I've served you and I've served you. And, and this is what this, this. Or how upset or offended are you? When you don't get noticed by your boss or others for the work that you've done. Maybe they elevate somebody else. Do you feel demeaned when others ask you to do something that you believe is a little below you? I had this discussion with my staff this week. I remember back years and years ago at another church I was in and another place I was in. And one of the men came in. He was a fantastic teacher. And he just said, I just want you to know something. I'm a teacher. I'm not a janitor. I said, what does that mean? He said, I'll teach, but I will not wash toilets. Luckily, my response was, if you won't wash toilets, you won't teach. But you can feel, this is below me. Does it bother you when others expect you 
to do something that you believe is too menial for you. Now, expect you, meaning they thought you were going to do that. And in your mind, you goes, oh, wait, this means that you think I'm so small that I'm, I'm, I've got to do that. Oh, I see what you think of me. Or here's another one. Do you serve others to manipulate them to get what you want? You know, it's kind of the, the birthday syndrome. You know what it is, you know? Eight-year-old boy says, you know, hey, if I go to their birthday party, I give them a gift. They'll come to my birthday party and give me a gift, right? <clears throat> and we think in terms of this way. We're going to serve just to manipulate the room a little bit. See, at some level, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We see ourselves in this strange request by this mom. And oddly enough, if we're going to be honest about it, other people see it too. And it smells funny to them. And it looks funny. It stinks. There's something about it that isn't right. That's the strange request. That's why it feels so weird in the text. Now let's look at the second point, which is the command, example, and power for servanthood. You'll see this in verses 23 through 28. At this point in the story, Jesus told them that God is the one who determines who sits in places of prominence in his kingdom. We'll cover that more later. And then he called his disciples to teach them about his kingdom. I think that's fascinating. Because he's basically saying to them, what you've just seen is the kingdom of man. Let me show you and talk to you about the difference of my kingdom. And notice what he says to them. He reminded them how worldly leaders lead. It's top down. They demand and they dictate. They don't care about how you feel or what you've gone through. Just go do it. And don't worry about what I'm doing. You go do it. Then he said, notice this statement and don't let it leave you. It shall not be so among you. This is in the framework of an imperative or a command. Meaning, among Jesus' people... That attitude of the worldly leaders is not to be happening among Jesus' followers. They're not top down, they're bottom up. The greatest shall be the servant, the one who lowers themselves to serve others without any expectation of anything in return. Now what is going on here is Jesus is contrasting the attitude and posture of James, John, and their mom, and and the other disciples as well. You notice the disciples, when the two came over to them, they basically chided them, right? Well, I see that it's almost like the three stooges, you know? They said, and they just started slapping them with their hat. Like, you dummy, what are you doing? And in reality, what the disciples are probably saying is, why didn't we think of that? And if we're honest, it's us. We want this place of prominence and this rule to be great. And Jesus is contrasting that with the attitude and posture of his people. Who are more concerned with with caring and serving serving people than ruling over them. Now you can see the command. It shall not be so among you. And you can see the contrast. The kingdom of man is ruled by top-down leaders who long for control and prominence, while the kingdom of God is filled with servants who care about people more than position. 
But I want you to notice one other thing about this command. Notice that Jesus did not rebuke their ambition. Do you see that? He rebuked their selfish ambition. He doesn't rebuke them because they wanted to be great. Matter of fact, the desire to be great is actually God-given. But what he does is he rebukes a selfish motive behind their desire for greatness and says, you want greatness for you. When in reality, those who are great glorify God and serve others for their benefit. And he did it because selfish ambition cannot stay in the same room as godly ambition. It just can't. Godly ambition is serving others for their benefit and the glory of Christ with without any sense of, I'm going to get something out of this. Selfish ambition serves others or serves ourselves for our benefit and the glory of us. And that can even be done under the guise of serving other people. That's why the motive and the heart and the posture of a servant is so important. Greatness in the kingdom of God is found in seeking others' interests above our own. John Calvin put it like this. This is great progress in the Christian life, that we nearly forget ourselves, that in all matters we hold our own concerns in less esteem, and that we strive faithfully We faithfully strive to devote our energies to God and his commands. Once this self-denial has occupied our heart, now listen clearly, it crowds out pride, arrogance, and pretentiousness, as well as greed, lust, gluttony, cowardice, and everything else that is born of (laughs) self-love. Selfish ambition cannot stay in the same room as godly ambition. See, the disciples wanted a seat in the throne room. They wanted the place of authority so they could dictate. They wanted position to tell people what to do. But what's Jesus' reply to that? The way up is down. The way to greatness in Jesus' kingdom is through service, not power. It's through care, not control. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. Now, you can see the command. It is shall not be so among you. Meaning God calls his people, that's us if we're believers in Jesus, to not lord over our, over people, but rather to serve people. That's why you'd read later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, when Peter's talking to elders, he says to them, elders, make sure that you are serving people not under compulsion, not for lordship, but with joy. That's a command. But there's also an example you'll see in the text. You'll see it in verse 28. Jesus gave it to us. Even as he came not to be served, but to serve. Again, knowing what Matthew is doing. Matthew is describing Jesus as the true king and the true savior of his people. He basically says, here is the example of your servant king in living color. If you want to know how Jesus rules over his kingdom in joy, here's how he does it. He came to serve, not to be served. Another way of saying this, I came not to dominate, 
to selfishly rule, to unrighteously dictate, or to use his powers for selfish gain. He came to serve. Now, one of the best examples of this, you know it if you have your Bibles, is John 13. It's at the famous Last Supper of Jesus. Gathers all of his disciples around and after dinner, he gets up from the dinner table, puts on a servant's robe, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, what's intriguing is that was customary for, in their day, the lowest of the low and most junior servant of all. Because their feet were dirty, they wore sandals, they came into a room, and the, the most junior servant of all put on a robe and washed feet as people came in. But notice, Jesus did this. And notice what he says after he did it. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example, here it is, that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, the point is obvious. If this is the way of the master of the kingdom, how much more is that to be the way of his followers? Now, when you get back to Matthew 20, Jesus finishes up verse 28 with this just amazing statement. Even as a son of man came to serve, not to be served, and if you want to know how far his service goes, to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, the supreme example and posture of Jesus and the supreme attitude of Jesus is he took his service so far as to say, I'm going to give my life up for these people. His service drove him to that moment of the cross that he spoke about in verses 17 through 19 that these this mother interrupted him about. See? Now what's fascinating is the example is amazing, but that ransom payment, listen clearly, for you and I, becomes the power by which we can serve. Now, I want you to notice the language in the text. I think this is very important. The language says, he gave his life as a ransom. Now, we know what a ransom is. A ransom is a payment to set someone free. Jesus paid the ransom that God demanded, not the devil. Don't get that. You're putting the devil in too much authority if you've given him that place. God demanded this ransom payment for us to be set free. But you have to ask, well, if it's a ransom payment and we're set free, what are we set free from and what are we set free for? Right? I mean, if you're set free from something, you're set free for something. So what is it for? Well, we know from the Bible that Jesus' ransom payment set us free from the penalty of God that hangs over us. Meaning, before Christ... The wrath of God is aimed at us. And if we don't believe in Jesus, when we die, we will face the wrath of God. 
But Jesus' ransom payment, for those who believe in his ransom payment, we're set free from it. That penalty is not hanging over us anymore. And listen, aren't you glad? That means this morning when you got up and you got angry at one of your kids, you're not going straight to hell for that. And praise God for that. But it also set us free from the dominating power of our sin. Meaning, you don't have to obey your sinful lust anymore. Because Jesus set you free from that. That's what we're set free from. But keeping with the idea of servanthood, notice what the Apostle Paul says that you're set free for. In Galatians chapter 5, he wrote this. For you were called, brothers, you were called to freedom, brothers. There's that word. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, James, John, and mother. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see what Jesus just, what Paul just said here? You're set free from the power and penalty of sin and set free for serving other people. You're set free with the ability and the power because Christ gave himself as a ransom for you so that you can serve like Jesus served you. That's why I say, listen, all the be kind stuff in the world, we got to be kind. Don't get me wrong. People should be kind. That does not transform the heart to be kind. The only thing that transforms a heart to be kind is the ransom payment that Jesus paid for us that set us free so we can serve because our hearts are transformed. We're completely different. The ransom payment that Jesus gave for us and paid for us is the greatest example of servanthood ever displayed. And yet it pays for us to be set free so we can serve. Now, you know what this means for you, right? If you're a child of God, here's what this means. The gospel frees you from your self-centeredness. Remember, remember the mama? Remember the boys? What about us? Second Corinthians 5 says it very clearly that he who died, died for us, so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. But the gospel also frees you from your arrogance and overstating of your abilities. Because what the gospel does in you is you realize, I am what I am by the grace of God, and my abilities come from God, and the ability to do anything comes from God. Breathing is a gift from God. And we recognize in the gospel that God resists those who are proud, but he gives great grace to those who are humble. But the gospel also does something fascinating. It gives you at the seat, it gives you a seat at the most prominent table in the universe. And the reason that's important is it allows you to no longer need a seat in the earthly universe. You can know that you are more loved than you will ever dream. And you're more forgiven than you could ever imagine. And nobody on this earth can give that to you. And in the gospel, it tells you that your servant king's ransom paid for your sins and you have an advocate, a lawyer, Standing there every time, every moment, 
declaring this one is mine. This one's mine. And you have a seat at the most prominent table in the universe. And therefore, you don't need another seat. Because you have the highest seat imaginable. Now, what's remarkable in Matthew 20 is that we're not only commanded to be servants, but in Christ, God gives us the power to be servants. See, you will always notice in the, in the Bible, here's a command, and by the way, here's the ability to go do it through Christ. You will never see those disconnected. And we see it here. Jesus is our hope. His example is our power. And what good news that is for us, because if you're like me, look, I, I don't see myself as a servant. Matter of fact, I regret more moments than I wasn't a servant. I think of moments when I'm sitting at home and my kids say, Dad, could you do this? I'm like, oh. And I instantly feel this condemnation and just just guilt over not serving. And you might feel that way. There's a hopelessness to it. But the command, example, and power of Jesus shows you this. We're not hopeless. We can change and we can serve as Christ served us because we've been set free by Christ's ransom payment to serve. He's empowered you for that. Now, last point of the day, we're going to close by looking at three brief things that are results in the posture of servanthood. Three things. And, and, and the three things aren't in your notes, so you have to write these down. I'll try to keep them on the screen as long as I can. <clears throat> the first one is this. Gospel-empowered service is about God's glory, others' benefit, and notice the last one, our joy. What's fascinating in this story is the redirecting of ambition. I'm an ambitious guy. I love to win. I like, I'm, I, if I, look, y'all heard, right? Texas Rangers won the World Series. I like that moment, right? I like to win. Okay? But notice Jesus redirecting it. Redirecting the ambition. The disciples and this mother believed that joy would come when they finally arrived. And they were finally given the seats that they had longed for and they deserved. But Jesus just redirects this. He basically states, if you want eternal joy, you will find it when you serve others for their benefit and for the glory of God. You'll find it when you go down, not up. Now, during the Major League Baseball season, as you can imagine, I listen to a lot of games, right? I have this app. I can listen to all the games. There was one commercial that came on over and over and over again. And it didn't matter if you listen to a Braves game, a Rangers game, a Mariners game. One commercial over and over again. And guess what it had to do with? Finding yourself some me time. It's fascinating. You've served others all day long. Your schedule's so full, you can't even go out on that run that you long for. And go through this list of all these things about finding some me time, getting somebody to talk to you about you so you can tell them about you and you can feel good about you. Now, the reason it's so fascinating is because our entire culture is based on us. We take more selfies. I mean, imagine people in the 1700s wondering what a selfie was. 
We, we post on social media our best life now. So others can see, look what y'all are doing. Wow. Look how great your kids are. Woo. It's all about kind of look it, kind of look, see it, click the like, tell me how great it is. It's all about that. Yet, sociologists and psychologists tell you we live in the most depressed and discouraged age in the history of the world. Which makes me wonder, and if you're a Christian, should make you wonder, if Jesus in this text is showing us the pathway to true glory and the pathway to true greatness, which would be the pathway to true joy, why aren't we experiencing that? And could it be that our motives for service or our posture for service is really about us? And when we don't get what we think we deserved, what do we do? We get discouraged and we get a little depressed. Because why aren't people noticing? Now you're going to notice something in the text. Jesus connects the way the Gentiles lead, and he connects it with the way his people serve. In other words, listen clearly, Jesus is not removing service or leadership and influence from the equation. He's giving you a completely different way to think about it. What he's saying is his kingdom is not about influence or leading by dominance. It is about leading and influencing the world and those around you by serving them, by expecting nothing from them. We serve others for their benefit, and by that God is glorified, and guess what happens in your soul? You're overjoyed. The worst day of my week, I gotta be honest, is my day off. You know why? I don't know what to do. I sit around and I look at things that serve myself, and sometimes by the end of the day I get a little depressed, and when I look back at the day, I go, well, it's probably because I sat here and just did nothing for myself all day long. Imagine if we took this to be true. Gospel-empowered service is for God's glory, others' benefit, and the result is your joy. Second thing, serving others for their benefit and God's glory reveals an eternal faith. Notice Jesus is talking about greatness in his kingdom. <clears throat> it's not primarily earthly, but it's most certainly eternal, and it has an eternal, any earthly effect. So when we serve others for their benefit and God's glory, we're living in light of what God has said. We're living in light of eternity. And if you're a child of God, just know this. God has a unique way to test this in you. Remember that statement that God is the one who determines who sits in what seat and who sits in what another seat. Remember that? You know what God does sometimes? God takes some of his servants and he gives them places of influence and leadership and success. And some servants he decides not to. And he does it only for reasons he knows. But he uses those in a platform or those not in a platform to reveal if their faith is eternal or temporal. And you know this when you start asking questions about yourself. Do you get jealous when other Christians 
are elevated to places that you thought you deserved? Or do you rest in God's providence and rejoice with that brother or sister in that place and do everything you can to help them? Do you struggle with contentment of the status, position, or place God has you in right now? Or do you feel you should be somewhere else in this life that you're not? Or are you at peace with the fact that God places people where he wants them for his glory and others' benefit, and you'll do everything you can just to get alongside that? See, one's eternal, one's temporal. And God tests this in us. So if you think your service to others will be seen by God so that God will now move you up the corporate ladder, you're looking at things wrongly, and guess what? God has a unique way of getting that exposed. Christ is to increase, we are to decrease. And God will expose our temporal faith in order for us to decrease. Third thing. And the last thing is this. Look around you for a moment and just notice that God has gifted the church in such a way that various services are done. So play your part. And I would say play your part without comparison. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. There are a variety of gifts with the same spirit, variety of services with the same Lord, variety of activities, but in the same, it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Do you see that little highlighted phrase, varieties of services, but the same Lord telling us when we use our gifts for the common good of the church, we are serving. And we do that knowing I've got gifts you don't have, you have gifts I don't have, and we joyfully go serve for the glory of Christ and the good of people. Several years ago in another church that we were in, we were having a potluck, and I did a lot of preaching and teaching on Sundays. And one day after church, we were having a potluck, and I went to go get some coffee, and I noticed the carafe was empty. So I carried it <clears throat> to the kitchen, like is normally my MO. If something's missing, I'll go carry it over. And I, as soon as I got around the corner, a lady noticed me, stopped me dead in my tracks, and here's what she said. David York, <sighs> you're serving. You never serve. And then she walked off. So I grabbed the carafe, walked over, filled it up with the coffee, went back, took it to its spot, and went and sat down. And I'm sitting by Jill, and she says, what? what what's going on? I said, I don't quite know what to do. So the pastor and his wife were at the table with us, and I just told them what happened. <clears throat> The pastor's wife said something I will never forget. She said, David, never neglect that you have served us regularly by using your gifts to teach us God's word. And listen to this. That is just as important as taking that coffee carafe to the kitchen. Here's what she said. Thank you for doing both. Now you can hear what she's saying to me from 1 Corinthians 12. There are a variety of services. Let's all play our part without comparison. God has made this church and the church in such a way that we're interdependent. Each person is valuable and one is not more valuable than the other to the work of Christ and no more important than one or the other. So we do it. We play our part. So listen, we all know we could serve better. 
But listen, Jesus in this text, friends, is after you. It's after your heart. It's after your posture. He's not after your performance. He's not after you just doing something for the sake of doing it. He's after your passions. Because when your passions are transformed, your performance changes. It's no longer for position and power. It's for service and the glory of God. It's for the benefit of others. See? Now, one way you can just test this in your own heart, Billy Graham said something years ago that convicted me to no end. He said the true test of any believer is how he or she acts at home. You can just ask yourself in your home life, how does the posture added to your heart manifest? How does your desire for control manifest? Parents, this is a big for us. I did this for you, therefore you should. So you can feel it. We need to give commands to our children. Yes, we do. We're told by God to do that. They're to obey. Children, are you serving your mom and dad with the joy of the Lord in your heart? Parents, are you serving your children? Husbands and wives, are you serving one another with the joy of Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are about the work of transforming us more than us just acting it out. Forgive us where we have fakely served. We have just done the deed, hoping that others would notice. And we pray, Father, and I pray for myself, I pray for us. Would you expose that? It's pride. It's arrogance. It's entitlement. And would you help us to be just grateful that we have a seat at the table? And transform our servanthood to smell like Christ. who served us without a desire for anything in return. Thank you. Thank you for talking to us today, Lord. Thank you for dealing with us. And thank you that you you want our joy. And you want us to experience your glory. And the pathway to that is by serving others empowered by the gospel of Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.